0: All right. Matthew chapter 5 is where you should be. Um, I'm just going to be up front with you right now that uh, today's sermon is uh, more of an exhortation. You know, most of the sermons that you hear from me, uh, it's it's uh, something of a, a teaching on a passage, and then I kind of let you do what you want with that, you know, to figure it out, um, because I, I think that uh, everyone is, is uh, in- intelligent enough to think through it themselves, and the Holy Spirit will... Convict them and place on their hearts how they want to apply it, so application hasn 't been like the the primary emphasis of the way that I preach, but today i 'm aiming at uh, at a, a particular emphasis, which is a, an application, which is really just to spend time this week uh, dedicated to reading the Bible and to, uh, to do it with, uh, with a renewed energy with a, a, a new new kind of attitude, a new outlook or perspective, a, a new motive on why you do it. Um, and by new, I don't mean like it's something that the church has never heard before, but I mean just, if, if for some reason uh, you're like me, maybe you have a love-hate relationship with the Bible, because that's, that's kind of the way I feel sometimes. Uh, it's, it's something I know I should be doing. I should be reading the Bible. It's something I know I should be doing, uh, but I never do enough. And that's, uh, that's ironic, because uh, you know I spend my whole week just diving into the Bible and you know, trying to figure out how to present the truth to the church. Um, I've watched people who read the Bible every day and, uh, and they do it, you know, for their quiet time, their devotion, whatever they want, uh, they call it. Um, and I, have wanted to do that. And so I, I've tried to read it and stuff in the same way that they do. Uh, and I, every time I did, I would love it. It was awesome. But, uh, then I'd miss a day or two. Uh, I'd miss a week. Uh, and then, you know, once, once you miss that uh, that many times, uh, it starts to feel like, ah, I messed up, I feel guilty, you know, I feel like a failure. There's that whole thing, the guilt and frustration and all that stuff. That's what I would feel when I was trying to read the Bible every day uh, as a growing Christian. And so after a while, um, especially when I was young in my faith, like, that would discourage me a lot. I'd feel like, ah, oh, I, I can't make these, these kinds of commitments to God because I'm just going to fail him, so I'm not going to make the commitment at all. You know, I, I can't say God. I'll read the Bible every day because if I do that, I'll fail. So I'm not going to promise Him I'll read it all, and uh, and that that's not a solution, right? That's that's a commitment to the problem. But um, uh, that's that's kind of where I was at when I was growing in my faith, and all of that changed at a certain point when uh, when I had a conversation with uh, with different pastors that were kind of taking care of me as I was kind of, I guess, moving into, uh, into my decision to go into pastoral ministry. Uh, there were a few pastors that just kind of helped me think through some stuff. Um, and one of the questions that I was asked um, by, a, by a pastor friend of mine was, uh, when is the last time that you read a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, when's the last time you read one of the gospels simply because you're compelled by the person of Jesus? Right, when's the last time you read the uh, a gospel not because you have to, and not because someone told you to, but uh, but just just because you wanted to, right? Uh, and I had to think about that. And uh, the follow up comment on it was: you sing hundreds of songs about Jesus, uh, you share Jesus with people, and say that He's the the savior, He's the He's the fulfillment and purpose of everything. Uh, you pray in Jesus' name, you worship Him, you do all this for Jesus. And yet you don't find him interesting enough to read about this person that you claim is your king and is the center and love of your life so then you know that's uh that's going to do a job on me as like i haven't even started seminary w- when I heard that uh so there i am and'm I'm, I'm like a, uh, i'm bound to go in- into pastoral ministry i'm almost a pastor and uh and I'm already realizing that uh, I don't have the relationship with Jesus that I want. Uh, I've immersed myself in in study and understanding of, of Scripture and stuff at, the, at that time, and I, I, I didn't I didn't realize that uh, what was lacking for me was I, I just never read the Bible to get to know Him. You know, apparently I was I was a great fan of Christianity, but in the midst of it, I was not much of a fan of of just Christ, of my relationship with Christ. I was learning all this theology. I was learning how to how to be good at church, and uh, and I loved the people there and everything like that. And so, all, the system all worked for me. But my relationship with Christ was what was weak. And uh, you know, it, it it had it required me to to come and change my perspective on the scriptures, my regard for the scriptures, uh, because I, I saw I saw the Bible like an owner's manual. Or like a, like a rule book or an instruction book, uh, a, a theology textbook, um, just to settle doctrinal disputes and debates and stuff. That's, that's the way I saw it, you know? I saw it as, uh, as a weapon against people that would disagree with me. Or I saw it as something to make me feel like I knew a lot. Um, and that's kind of where I want to just come and refine some understanding of the Bible and, and, and share that with you. Uh, and I'm just going to cover it in, in two quick movements today. It's what is the Bible, and then, uh, and then what, what does the Bible do, right? What is the Bible? What does the Bible do, right? Let's start with what is the Bible. Um, well, we can just uh, get an answer to that uh, very quickly by surveying things that Jesus says or that the Apostle Paul says. Uh, you know, there, there are plenty of places we could look in the Bible for that, but we're going to take a quick look. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 okay? In Matthew chapter five, here's what Jesus says, and he's going to be speaking about the Old Testament, okay? Because when he's saying it at the time, the New Testament hasn't been written yet because he's still alive and walking around. The New Testament is about him, and so it hasn't been written yet. He's still alive at that time. Um, So he's talking about the Old Testament. This is what he says in Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? If you notice, he, uh, he hasn't come to, uh, to abolish the, the, the Old Testament, but he's come to make good on it, right? to fulfill its promises to, and to actually live out what it intended for us to live out. Right? So uh, that's what he's saying so far. And then he says in verse 18, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Right? None of it's going to pass away. All of it's going to be accomplished in him. Right uh, when he was talking about scripture, specifically the Old Testament, uh, he's saying that this was authoritative, divine literature. Like God has written it, and it's going to be accomplished, and it is it is divinely uh, appropriated to be accomplished. Nothing will, nothing, uh, no part of it will pass away until all of it's fulfilled. Right. So he had this uh, this view of the Old Testament that it was the absolute word of God, that it was infallible. It will accomplish exactly what it said it would accomplish, and all of what it said it would accomplish. Not, a, not an iota, not a dot uh, will, will disappear from it until it does everything and exactly what it said it'll do. That's what Jesus said about the Old Testament. Look what the Apostle Paul says about the Old Testament in Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the Old Testament, Uh, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, right? So, so far, the Apostle Paul is saying that the Old Testament is able to make Timothy, wise for salvation, like to help him understand salvation. And, uh, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it, it's sacred writings, right? They're set apart. They're holy. Verse 16, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's the, that's the famous verse out of 2 Timothy. Uh, that's the big one. All Scripture is breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? Uh, Paul seems to think that Scripture is a big deal. And by Scripture, he's talking, again, about the Old Testament, right? And it will also apply to the New, because if, if, that, if the New Testament also is Scripture, then then it'll apply. But when he's saying that at the moment, what he's thinking of is the Old Testament, right? And he's saying that it is so useful to teach and to rebuke and to correct and to train in righteousness so that you're thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what he says, right? For you to understand righteousness, you need the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament. And uh, I I keep emphasizing that because uh, I think as Christians today, uh, we have a we have a high view of the New Testament, and we love the New Testament, preaching through the New Testament, reading the New Testament and stuff. Uh, at least we, we talk like that. But then the Old Testament is like something we avoid for years and years, you know? Like, how long have you been a Christian, right? Okay, if you have the answer to that, then I would like to ask you, what's the book of Obadiah about? You know, what's the book of Nahum about? Uh, people don't necessarily have those answers. If I ask what's Ephesians about, maybe they, they can at least quote a verse or something from it, right? But then uh, when I ask what's, what's Jeremiah about, they don't have a whole lot of, of information to give, and neither do I. By comparison, Old Testament understanding versus New Testament understanding, I feel like we pay so much attention to the new that the old is kind of like, uh, that's like um, extra supplementary material, but the real message is in the New Testament. Well, that's not the way that Paul saw it. Uh, Paul saw it as all scripture is breathed out by God. All of it is, uh, is spoken by him, right? And uh, the Old Testament can make you wise for salvation and it'll thoroughly equip you for every good work. And here's the thing, like, that's, what he says there is just an explanation. It's just a description of the Old Testament, right? That's not even an application yet. And we, we kinda read those those two verses, sixteen and seventeen, and then we go, Oh, that's a good thought and we end it there because that looks like the end of the chapter. But then look what he says right after that in chapter 4, verse 1. And here he, gets to, he drives to an application, right? He gives you truth about, about the Bible. He says the, the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, but the Bible uh, can make you wise for salvation and it's good for teaching, correcting, uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training and righteousness. It'll thoroughly equip you for every good work. And so what are you supposed to do with that? Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus... Who is, judged, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. So, I mean, think about this. It, is what Paul is about to say next really important, you think, maybe? Right? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Right? That's, that's a, that lead up... You don't follow with something something petty or or flippant or stupid, right? He's What he's saying is this is like the big idea here. I charge you in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ, who's the judge, who's the king, and he and his kingdom. I charge you by all of those things, invoking all of that stuff, by the importance of all of the things that I just named. This is how important this charge is. Verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul tells Timothy that the Old Testament is God-breathed. He says that, that uh, you know, God has inspired every author uh, to write from the author's own personal circumstances and stuff, and he's saying, like, take that now, and I charge you by God and by Jesus and by the kingdom, I charge you to preach it in season and out of season, to, to reprove, rebuke, exhort, right? Because, because the time is coming when people don't want to read the Bible. They don't, they don't want to care about the Bible. They don't want to get into the doctrine. They don't want to get into theology. They just want to wander off into these myths. They just want to talk about their feelings. They just want to talk about their own uh, conspiracy theories or theological theories and all that kind of stuff. But they don't, they don't actually sit down to hear the truth of what the Bible says. They're more interested in, in the feelings associated with their notion of Christianity rather than the truth that's given by Christ. So there's this high view that Jesus has of the Old Testament. And then there's Paul having a very high view of the Old Testament saying, you got to preach it. You have to, you have to invest in it because there are plenty of people who don't. There are plenty of people who don't care what the scriptures have to say, what the Old Testament has to say, what, what, what God has to say, right? They, uh, they want a, a good moral life. They want to live peaceably. They like the idea of love and forgiveness, community. You know, they like singing, they like reading. So all of that works out together and everything. Um, but then the the impulse and the value of reading what God has said in his word is like absent in their hearts. Well, uh, let me show you a moment where Jesus is speaking to some of his disciples. Because if uh, Jesus and Paul have a high view of the Old Testament, what about the New Testament, right? Does that... Does that measure up to the high view that Jesus and Paul have of the old? Does the New Testament measure up? Look at John chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says to, to some of his disciples, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And uh, what he says there is that the Holy Spirit is going to enable some of the disciples that he's speaking to, the Holy Spirit will enable them to remember all that he said to them. Right? Uh, that's, that's a supernatural work because it's, it's difficult to remember all that someone says to you right? It's difficult to remember all that someone says to you in a single conversation, uh, let alone for, you know, how can you do that for the three years of ministry where Jesus is walking around giving sermon after sermon, day after day, all day long. But Uh, But the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance all that that he said, and they're able to write it down, and that's how you get the the Gospels and how how you get the Scriptures and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, You have this this promise by Jesus that the Holy Spirit is going to help the apostles and their close associates to remember everything that he said. Those are the people that are standing with him in the crowd, the disciples that he's talking to. The Holy Spirit will enable you to remember it all right? Which means that the Holy Spirit is then inspiring them. The Holy Spirit is then empowering them and they're able to accurately record what, uh, what was written down, right? It, it's still guided by the hand of God. Look at chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, meaning Jesus, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, right? So the Holy Spirit is going to take what belongs to God and Jesus and he's going to give it to, the, uh, to these authors who are going to be empowered to write everything out and they're guided into all truth, right? They're guided into, uh, into everything that is accurate and is, is true. And so uh, there are some uh, there are some of these disciples that that were inspired like that. They wrote it down. That became the Bible, right? The New Testament. That has the same divine authority, the same position as the Old Testament. The Old and New Testament, they're both the word of God. They they stand together that way. The Holy Spirit has moved the prophets of old to write the Old, uh, old Testament, and the Holy Spirit has enabled the disciples to write the New Testament, and it stands together as a single unit. That's why we have some letters in history that uh, that comprise the Bible. That's the Bible. And we have other letters written by uh, by early Christians and disciples that are not part of the Bible. Uh, we, we have the collection of, of these manuscripts and texts and stuff, and the earliest test that people would use to figure out, is this Bible or not Bible? Is this holy word of God, or is this just nice writings from, from people? Uh, the, the main thing that they would use, their, their first test was, uh, was it written by people that had received this commission? Was it written by someone who was a follower of Jesus and was, was given a commission like this, that the Holy Spirit would guide them to remember these things and stuff? Some books are inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, breathed out by God. Other books are just natural books that are written, and they're just books, you know? Lord of the Rings, that's just a book written by a person. Bible is written by a person, but the Holy Spirit had come in and and supernaturally empowered the authorship. So it's it's a different uh, the authorship is a different kind of authorship, right? While it's fully from the human author, it is also fully from God, the author of everything. You can't say that about every other book that's written. Well, uh, the point of it is that uh, this all stands together. All sixty six books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it stands together as a single unit, and it's not an owner's manual. Right? No one's ever transformed by an owner's manual. Right? No, no one reads an instruction manual or nobody reads the, 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 the terms of agreement and the license of a, you know, a, of a product uh, and, and then walks away transformed by that where their definition of life and their worldview, their understanding of reality is completely different. Right? That doesn't happen with an owner's manual. It doesn't happen with an instruction book. It doesn't happen with a rule book. It doesn't happen with a, with a, a textbook even if God wanted that, he would just write a textbook, right? Complete with glossary and index in the back. But he didn't do that, right? He he used, uh, look at the Bible, and he he uses poetry. He uses apocalyptic visions, right? He uses romantic imagery in the Song of Solomon. He uses uh, history and narrative. He uses parables and personal letters and all that kind of stuff. He uses every kind of piece of writing that's available. Uh, he, He speaks in so many different ways to Tell the readers what he's like and what we should do in response to him. And that's scripture, right? The Bible is not, is not just a, 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 like this textbook to use just to, to know a lot of information. It's an invitation to get to know God and to see what he's like and to live the way that he intends for you because the promise is that it, is, it will amount to your ultimate fulfillment in him. I always treated the Bible... Like it was a rule book, like an instruction manual. You know, there are rules, and and, and, that, and that's the the way that I, I function. And like, if you get into like personality tests and stuff, like the My, Myers Briggs, you know, uh, if if you're like a a, a judging type personality, a, a J, right, then you think that there's a there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. There's a structure. Your, things ought to be done a certain way. And so then it might be easy for you to think that the the Bible is not just that. You're supposed to read it. And you just got to do the, it the way that it says. Right, If you're a P, a perceiving, you might think, ah, everything's, there's not a set way to do things. You just kind of feel it out. So then the Bible becomes like, ah, you don't really need to read that. You just kind of get a feel for things, and then you'll, you'll know what to do. And the, the Bible's neither of those. Uh, it's this invitation to get to know who God is. It's not a handbook that, uh, where you're just supposed to sit there to memorize verses so that you could win a debate, right? It, it can be used that way, but that's not its purpose. That's not its primary purpose. S- certainly not. The Bible calls itself living and active in hebrews four right it 's uh, something that uh, that affects you and interacts with you uh, it's, it, it 's it's meant to be that when you read it, something happens inside you every time you 're exposed to it, right when you sit down and actually give it the attention. That, uh, that you would give to, to anything that you're serious about, it ought to do something in you. And that's why we spend so much time at our church delving into the Bible and talking about it so much. That's why we spend so much energy on that, right? That's why we uh, we call our, uh, ourselves to immerse our lives in it because it's living and active and it does something. But we have to kind of handle uh, two disclaimers on, on the extremes, right? We gotta be, uh, avoid certain Certain aspects of how to do this right. For some people, uh, if you're raised in church and you got a good theological background and stuff, and, and strong uh, strong teaching in in, in in certain denominations or traditions, uh, the 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 emphasis on theology is so overt and uh, and primary that the notion of the Trinity of God for such a believer is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, where you talk about God, you talk about Jesus, and then you talk about the Bible and theology, and you don't say a whole lot about the Spirit or what the Spirit does or how the Spirit uh, speaks to you and affects you and moves you and uh, that kind of stuff, right? And these folks have an easier time having a relationship with a book rather than having a relationship with the person of Jesus whom the book is pointing to. And uh, that's a weird line, uh, but it, it, it matters, okay? Do not place your faith in the Bible and then stop there. The Bible is pointing you to Jesus. So the faith that you place in the Bible ought to point you to place your faith in Jesus. That's where it belongs, right? Uh, I mean, there's a nuance to that. And, and you have to sit there and think about it for a while because some people place their faith in the book but don't, don't place their, their faith in its author. The other extreme to avoid is that... Um, there are some people who think uh, doctrine and theology and stuff, it, there are so many different opinions and there are so many different uh, perspectives that like, it's not important. I got like the major things down anyway. I know the core gospel and so that's all that matters. Uh, I don't need to hear all these, these different voices in my head trying to argue for, for the particulars and the peripherals, right? And so they think it's unimportant to learn doctrine, unimportant to learn theology. Uh, it, it boils down to basically whatever matters to me and what are, whatever it means to me, that's all that I care about. And if, uh, if you take seriously that this is God's word, then you ought to come at the Bible very differently than that, right? Because it will matter what he said. In fact, if you say that it's God's word, it matters even more what it says, not less, right? It matters even more to get to know what God was talking about. It doesn't matter less the fact that it's God's word means that we should read it more carefully and more fervently than anything else we read, anything else we pay attention to, anything else we try to figure out. This is the thing that is most important to figure out, right? It's that much more important to be careful and understand it rightly because it tells you who God is. It tells you what he's like. It tells you what he wants. It tells us who we are. It tells us what we need to do. It tells us what this is all about, right? So that needs to be understood. So then what is the Bible? It's not a rule book. It's not, a, it's not an instruction manual. It's an invitation to get to know God, right? It can function by telling you rules and it can it can tell you instructions and it can give you theology and all that stuff, but its primary purpose is an invitation to get to know God, right? If that regard for the Bible is not central in your mind, then you'll look at it like a textbook, and you'll be as excited to read it as you are a textbook. If you look at it like a rule book or like a, a contract, a terms and, and a, a terms of agreement, a license, you know, of a product. If if that's what you think it is, then that's the way that you'll approach it, and you'll be like, "Why do I need to read this? Ugh." Right, but it, when when uh, when you're like in love with someone, and someone writes, you, and that person writes you a letter, and you receive that letter, there's there's a a, a, a heartbeat. That, that happens, you know, you, you pick up the letter and you say, what is this? And you want to read it. It matters to you, right? When someone writes a card for your birthday or for Christmas or something, and it's someone that you really care about, uh, then you, you pick that up and you read it with interest and you read it with, with a certain attitude that's different than if you're reading a textbook, right? If you, if you regard the Bible like a textbook, you'll read it like a textbook. If you, if you regard the Bible like it is God's explanation of himself and his invitation for you to be in relationship with him, then you'll read it as that, right? If uh, if you love God, if you love Jesus, uh, and you understand what this book is, then you'll read it because you you want to, to get into interaction with God and with Jesus, and you want to know him more. You want to know him better, right? That's what the Bible is. What does the Bible do? What does the Bible do? Well, go to Romans 12, uh, this comes up a lot. And I'm realizing when people ask me, what's my favorite verse in the Bible? I think it, it ends up landing here because uh, this just keeps coming up over and over and over again. In, uh I, I, I think just not just in what the Bible has to say, but also in what I teach and in, in what I care about and stuff. Uh, this succinctly wraps up uh, the very, very important message of, of what to do with all the things that we know okay? So Romans 12, um, when we're asking the question, what does the Bible do, okay? Um, or how does it change us? Or how do, you know, what, what's the application, I, I suppose? What's the effect of the Bible? What's the application on us? Okay. The Apostle Paul just gave 11 chapters of the book of Romans uh, where there's a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine, and he's talking about why everyone needs Jesus, right uh, he he spoke for a very long time he wrote for a very long time giving a, a whole lot of that whether you're jewish or not everyone has fallen short Right, and a new way has been made for us to have a relationship with God, and it's not by obeying the Jewish law; it's by trusting in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Right, it's a magnificent picture of God's mercy. It's a big picture of uh, of God's grace and His love for us, love for, for people who didn't deserve it, people who were His enemies, people who chose against Him, and yet He chose to, to make a solution anyway. Right, it's this eleven chapters of incredible description and explanation of the plan of God to save sinful mankind. And then you get to, uh, to chapter 12. And this is where he takes all of that. And he, he throws it into an application. Chapter 12, verse one, it says, I appeal to you. Therefore brothers by the mercies of God in view of God's mercy, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? Uh, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What he's saying is all of that stuff, all of the description I gave you for 11 chapters about the mercy of God, all of that stuff that I talked about how we 're all sinners, the wrath of God is, is poured out on us, and we deserve it all the wages of sin is death and the way that that God made for us is to put all of that wrath and all of that punishment on Jesus Jesus died for us and uh, and anyone who believes in him and trusts in him will no longer be condemned there 's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ nothing will ever separate you from that love uh, you'll you will you will always be in him and all creation everything that's that's uh, been made by the hand of God is being renewed and it'll all be worked together for the good of everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. Nothing will come to destruction. Nothing will come to condemnation. All of it will be redeemed, right? And he says, even Israel, the, the, the nation that... that ought to have been God's uh, covenant ethnic people, they, they fell away. And even then God's going to make good on his promise to woo them back and a remnant of Israel will be saved and they'll be brought back in, uh, and, uh, into his arms and stuff, even though they went wayward and rejected the Messiah. All of that, the mercies of God, explained for 11 chapters. Then he goes, by the mercies of God, if you understand it, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then, uh, I think if you read uh, verse 1, you have to include with it verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is, the, uh, th- this is where the battleground is, right? The mind is an oft underutilized component when it comes to growing in your relationship with Jesus. A lot of people just try to grow in faith by their feelings. You know, the, they, they just try to care more and love more, but they don't really invest in knowing more. Uh, if, if you think about the pattern of, of like how, how sin and, and the devil and just how evil works, uh, how, how, did, how did the devil tempt Eve? He deceived her. He gave her false knowledge. He offered her false knowledge, right? He said, go ahead and, and take this forbidden fruit. You'll be like God. You'll know things. You'll, you'll, you'll understand good and evil. And he tempted her with, with the false knowledge. He lied to her and he, he promised her things that would not be true. True. Uh, the, the, the scripture repeatedly reminds us that the primary place that your spiritual battle is fought is in your mind. It's in what you believe, in what, what you regard as true. It's not what you say you believe, it's what you really believe, right? Paul will say in Second Corinthians that the weapons that we use uh, to wage war against sin and evil, against demons and, 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 uh, and uh, hellish forces, uh, they're, they're there to demolish arguments and false ideas, where do, where do uh, arguments and false ideas exist? In the mind, right? That's where the stronghold is. The people who struggle the most spiritually are the ones who are convinced about a lie about themselves, right? That's, that's where the struggle really comes from. Like when, when you struggle with notions, like when you think things like uh, God can never love me because I messed up too badly, Or God can never use me because I don't have money or gifting or popularity, right? I don't have as much as that guy. So God can't use me as much as he uses that other person. Uh, God doesn't care about me because he allowed me to suffer. So he obviously didn't care. Uh, God isn't going to take care of me because I have to struggle to take care of myself. I have to provide for myself. And so I don't think God is going to provide. When, you know, when we have those kinds of notions, when we think things like I'm damaged goods, or I'm not good enough. I, I always get it wrong. I'm not likable. I'm bound to fail. When we have these notions in our head where uh, we're convinced of a lie about ourselves, that we're not, uh, we're not children of God, we're not, uh, we're not made in his image, we're not glorious because of his glory. When we have those kinds of, uh, of ideas that we're convinced of as Christians, then uh, that's where the struggle will come in. That's why we can't live out what we're supposed to live out. One of the lies uh, that I would always deal with when I was growing up was uh, just this idea that I was very by myself. Like there's, there's no one that would understand kind of what goes on with me. And like, if you just look at my hobbies, they're ridiculous. You know, like if uh, I liked doing stunts, I liked making tabletop role-playing games, um, and I liked Crafting my own language, complete with its own grammar and alphabet and that kind of stuff. Nobody cares, right? Nobody cares, and I get that. I've been doing that since 1989, and you know, it's been it's been 31 years. Nobody cares, and that hasn't changed, and that's fine. Uh, but when I was young, I got it in my head that like, well, no one understands me. Nobody cares. No, you know, like the. I, I'm just by my. I'm the only one that's that, that that's like this, and I have no one to talk about with the things that I care about, and you know stuff like that. And so, uh, what that did was it did two weird things to me. First, uh, I, when I was uh, when I was young, I was a, like a super extrovert because I wanted to, uh, I craved attention, and I wanted to be close to people and stuff. Then, as I got older. I think it just kind of dawned on me that like nah, that 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 doesn't work and no uh, like you get be surrounded by people but they won't know what's going on in here and so then I I became very isolated I became very uh, d- reclusive in a way you know and uh, very not uh, not like withdrawn physically I'd be around people and stuff but then I kind of would think I belong by myself I belong alone and so this lie kind of got in my head and I was called out on it in college when, uh, when I was when I was kind of learning who Jesus was and stuff, um, someone it, it, like down the hall in the dorm, uh, she was like telling me about jesus and, and she was just saying, like "You have this lie that you 're convinced of that uh, that you 're doomed to be alone you know and, and it 's not the alone of like you 'll never get married but just that you 'll you'll never have anyone that you can really connect to and really care about or that will ever really care about you. And just the way that she, she said that to me, it, it struck a chord because there was, there was this thing I was convinced of, and she was showing me that, that the Bible says very differently, that uh, the manifold grace of God, the, uh, the, the artistry of God has made everyone very, very different, um, and we all belong to the same body. One person might be like an, eye, an eyeball, another person like an ear, or another like a hand or a foot. They're all very different, but we're all connected to, to Jesus, who's the head, and we're, we're all part of the body. And that, that helped me understand that like, it's okay that I don't have a, another clone out there. You know, um, It was okay with that, and I, just had, I needed the Bible to come and like, uh, help me understand Everyone deals with lies that the flesh or the devil of the world feeds you about these kinds of things. And Paul says you need to be renewed in your mind, right? Think about this. Like when, when, you, uh, when you start thinking that you're... Uh, you're alone, you're you're doomed to to be by yourself forever, right? When you start thinking stuff like that, when you have those kinds of lies in your head that no one will understand what you're going through, no one is gonna go through the same thing that you've gone through and stuff, when when you have that, you start to make huge errors about yourself, right? Because of your unique history, because of your distinct experiences, uh, you think no one else will relate. No one else can really understand. And so either you'll down, you know, in order to live with yourself, you'll either downplay your weaknesses and say, they're not a big deal, or you'll overcredit your strength in order to compensate. You'll say, yeah, I got these weaknesses, but but I'm awesome at at stuff like this. And I'm better than other people because of this. And there'll be this, this weird, like, you know, coping mechanism that, that you have to do, right? When you, when you feel like you got to be fine by yourself and, and no one can fully understand you and stuff, you won't speak vulnerably about yourself. You'll avoid those kinds of conversations. Uh, you, won't, um, uh, you won't express need. You won't ask for help because you hate the notion of, of, of feeling like your, uh, your value is diminished because you need someone else's help right? Yeah. You'll, you'll act like you can just figure it out on your own. Like I'll be fine. Someone goes, Hey, what's wrong? What's going on? Let, let me help you. And you say, no, it's nothing. You know, I don't need you. Right. And there, there's this weird mechanism and because we, we commit to the lie. We embrace the lie and we, we hold on to that. We say, I don't, I don't need the church. I don't need the, uh, I, I don't need the Bible. I don't need, I, I don't need anything. I'm just, I, I can do it myself. And the Bible is telling us to undo that. And and what Paul says is uh, everyone's dealing with this. And he says, Stop being conformed to this world. Right? You're just like the world. You think just like the world. That's how people think in the world. Right? He says, uh, You're either conformed to the pattern of the world or you are transformed by the mercies of God. Right? You're either conformed to the world or you're transformed by the mercies of God. There is no middle ground. I'd love to say that there are some things that are neutral or harmless, don't matter, but every thought is either conformed to the world or transformed by the mercies of God. Right? That's why it matters. That's why it matters what, what you watch on TV, what you read in books. That's why it matters what kind of music you listen to. That's why it matters what kind of games you play. That's why it matters what you think about, what you talk about, what you call entertainment, what you, what you draw into your life and take in. Because you're either conforming yourself to the word, word, world, excuse me, you're either conforming yourself to the world or you're trans, being transformed by the word of God, by the mercies of God, right? And by default, nobody starts off in the Christian kingdom. All of us started off in the world, and everyone is raised by people in the world and society in the world and values in the world and thoughts in the world, ideologies in the world. And because of that, we just all we do is we, we grow up like the world. We are conformed to the world by default until the Word of God comes and transforms us. Right? That's why in Philippians 4, uh, 8 and 9, it says whatever's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything's ex- excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things and then take them and put them into practice. Right? It's, it's a huge deal that we have to be careful what we take in because anything that you take in, you become a little bit like. Paul's point is that the truth about Jesus, the gospel, as it's written in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that is what transforms us. That's the explanation of the mercies of God, right? That's the invitation to get to know God and to, to discover that He is steadfast in love and abounding in grace. Once you know the mercies of God you, you, uh, and you, you soak that in, you realize that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, right? Because you're not living the same anymore the way that you were living, you're like, that has to come to an end. You're not going to live conformed to the world anymore. You're transformed by the reality of Jesus. So you go, okay, I'm not going to live that way anymore. Now my life, my body, everything that I do is different. And I live in this direction in a completely different way, right? This is the, the, the one and only source. The Bible is the one and only source that God gave to tell you who he is, to tell you uh, what he's like, to tell you about Jesus, to tell you about, about salvation and fulfillment, all of that stuff. It's the one place to do it. Everything else is either just information or entertainment. And we, we so much more fervently go to those things instead of this invitation to a relationship with the author of it all. I got to be careful even now like you know not to read the Bible just to look for ammunition for sermons. Right? I mean you don't have to deal with that problem but uh every time I read the Bible I got to make sure that like you know I'm sitting down to really think about it and get to know what God is is uh is revealing about himself and not just take that as as you know stuff that I write down for a lesson that I'm going to teach. You know it's not that. That's it, it, certainly the information is useful that way that's not its primary purpose though right? It has to first engage my heart. It has to first uh, bring me into relationship before I can come up and talk about it to anyone else. The Bible will, will uh, it might not always, it might not always emotionally impact you. It might not move you to tears. It might not, it might not give you some clear application of what you need to do this afternoon or something like that, you know, um, but uh, but that doesn't mean it's not transformative, right? You can, uh, you can, you can read it, and uh, let's say it's boring. You can still be bored by it by the end of the time you're reading. You can. But that doesn't mean it doesn't contribute to some understanding that you're collecting as you read it over time. right? It's weird to say that I went, uh, I went to the gym today. I came back. I'm not buff. So I guess the gym doesn't work. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works, right? The, the way that, that you, you approach exercise is a consistency to, uh, and a frequency. And the more you do it, the more it, it begins to mold and tra- transform you. But if you just do it once and go, like, what are the results? I don't see it. Ah, it's not working. That's, that's not how you do it. You wouldn't watch a, a single scene in a movie and then go, well, how was how the movie? And then try to judge it just by one scene. You can't, you have to watch it as a whole, right? Take the collective uh, constituent parts. And that's how it works with the Bible, that we have to read it. And it's not just like, today it was boring and it didn't do anything, so the Bible doesn't work. That's not the right way to to approach anything, right? You don't eat one ingredient on your plate and then judge the entire entree. Unless it's cilantro. Cilantro's terrible. Here's the result of a transformed mind, okay? Think about what Paul says. Can we get Romans... uh, 12 verse 2 back up again, right? What uh, Paul says, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, right? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? So that by testing, meaning so that by going through a lot of hard stuff in your life, by going through trials and and hardships, so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? So everything you learn from the Bible, everything that that you learn uh, over time, then you start walking through different situations in life where it puts that understanding to the test. And when, when you're put to the test, that's the moment where you know what the will of God is, right? What's the most popular question that Christians ask? They ask, what's God's will? What's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do, right? That's the big question. And we keep asking that with some desperate hope to find like divine writing on a wall, to just tell us answers to questions that we have about decisions we're, we're making, you know, that's the way that we approach God. We're like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What, what, do you want me to take this job or not? Do you want me to go to this school or that school? Do you want me to marry this person or not? You know, like the, we we just want the the big answer, you know. But that's not that's not really the way that that God was was trying. He, he's not trying to get us to be dependent on Him that we can't make decisions on our own. That's not what any father wants for his child, right? For, for uh, with my son. Uh, I got my 10-year-old son, Elias. I don't want him to be constantly asking me, hey, what do you want me to do? What can I do? What am I supposed to do? Like when when he does that, that doesn't show maturity. That shows immaturity. What do I want for my son? I want him to know me so well that when it's time for him to make a decision, he knows exactly what he should do because he knows what I would say to him. And that's kind of the, uh, the, the tie-in with, with uh, this exhortation to read the scriptures, right? Uh, the key result of reading the scriptures is that you, you get to learn what God's voice is like, what God sounds like. You learn how to hear his voice, right? People will say, like, God was telling me to do this. I, I really could tell that God was, was, uh, was you know, pointing me in this direction. How do they know that? How did they know that? Maybe, maybe they, uh, they're right, maybe they're wrong, but how would they know? And you can't know if you don't know what he sounds like and what he cares about and what, is, uh, what, what his plan is, right? Like that's all given in, in the Bible. And the more you read it, the more you, you get tuned to his voice. And Jesus says, my, you know, my sheep, they know my voice, right? That's what happens when you, you sit there listening to the shepherd, But if you're just filling yourself up with television shows and 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 music and stuff, then that's that's what you think like, and that's that's then the 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 guiding voice in your head. The more you you look at what God has said, the more you start to figure out what it sounds like. When I was in college, and uh, and that girl was telling me, you know, you you kind of have this issue where uh, where you feel like you're just on your own, and and no one's going to understand you, and you know, when she was she was telling me that, I knew in that moment that God was speaking to me through her, right? And it's not like that was, that was a, a new book of the Bible or anything like that. It didn't stand in the same authority. It was a, a message that was consistent with stuff that the Bible was already saying. And I've read through the Bible so many times and, and things that uh, by the time she was saying that, it was helping me realize things. You know, and, and it made sense because that's the voice of God. He's, he's telling me that I'm part of a body. I'm a different part than some other people. That's fine. But but that doesn't mean I don't belong. That doesn't mean that I don't need the rest of them. It means that, that we all have a place together. The, um, the, whole, the whole point of this is to, you know, to talk about what is the Bible, what does it do, is to, is to move you in, in one direction, which is just simply to say, during this time in quarantine, um, many of us have extra time because you're not really driving anywhere, or, you know you're staying home and stuff, you have extra time, uh, and I would I would encourage you to use that time to read the Bible and to read the Bible not because you're just told to, and not because uh, you you know you just got to memorize some stuff, but like read it because you actually care about the person it's about, and it'll it'll be your your only opportunity to get to know him. And then s- for some other people, I think that uh, that are working harder now or working longer hours now, uh, because of demand and, you know, the situation, um, some people's jobs make them work longer hours during the situation, uh, with the whole quarantine and stuff. And I kind of want to say to you that maybe now more than ever is when you need to keep your thoughts anchored to Jesus. So I guess in a way it doesn't matter who you are. Read the Bible is really what I'm saying. Right. But, uh, Immerse yourself in the scriptures uh, because if you're a believer, you're convinced that Jesus and Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Why immerse your mind in something else? It doesn't mean you can't watch TV. It doesn't mean you can't listen to music. That's, that's not the point. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, but what is the driving thought that takes you through your life, right? Through each day, through each week. What is that driving thought? We want to know him. We want to love him. We want to be like him. He wrote all of this down so that we could get to know him and we could, uh, we could love him and we could be like him. All of it's written down. So then I'm just gonna like, I'm gonna zoom out here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close with, with these two questions for, for you to mull over for yourself uh, and, then, uh, and then we'll close in prayer. First is, where are you being conformed to the pattern of the world, right? Where, where do you look, like the, look exactly like the unbelieving world? What should you not be taking in so much of? Is there something you're uh, something you're watching that just it's not good for your your soul? Something you're listening to is not good for your soul. You know, like what what are you taking in that's that's keeping you thinking like the world? And then second is how can you put yourself in a posture where you can be transformed? Right. Uh, for some people, it's like oh, I'm going to start this uh, read the Bible in a year kind of plan. Other people, it's like, I'm just going to read whatever I, want, whatever I want from the Bible, as much as I want, for 10, 15 minutes a day. Fine, right? Some, it's like, I'm just going to memorize a verse every week. But uh, what, what what can you do to put yourself in a posture to be transformed? Think about those things, right? Go, come to Discipleship Group this week, uh, having thought about those things. And if you wanted, if you want some extra guidance on, like, well, I don't know what to read or something like that, jump into our Tuesday Night Bible study if you want to. You know, I think we're doing Acts chapter two this week. Uh, do something like that, right? Or starting next week, we're going to launch into the book of Isaiah. Read the first five chapters this week, a chapter on each weekday or something, and, uh, and just see where that takes you. But uh, give, like, m- prioritize for yourself an opportunity to listen to the voice of God, right? To tune yourself to it. This is how he spoke in his word. And the more you, you are familiar with that, the more you'll be familiar with how he speaks to you through the Holy Spirit in your heart. All right, let's pray. Father, it's a simple exhortation, and I hope that, that it matters to all of us. Um, I pray, Lord, that we as a church, we as your people, would depend on your word, would rest in your word, would delight in your word, and would read it, knowing that not every day is going to be this emotional impact, Not every day is going to have some application point to do that afternoon. But to read it because each time we do, it adds to our understanding to get to know you. And as we do that, as we add to it and and we explore uh, all the different ways that you have revealed to us the mercies of God, we hope that it would transform us so that we would know the will of God and we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Bless your church, Lord. Keep making us like you. Do it through your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.